the Bible makes it very clear that we have an enemy, Satan, the devil, who longs to trip us up and make us ineffective in our Christian lives, useless for Christ's kingdom. We read this very clearly in First Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, where Peter says, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. He explains, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And then Peter says, but resist him, firm in your faith. Resist him. Now, Peter tells us that we are to be alert. We are to be aware of this. We are to be sober-minded. We are to resist Satan. But it's important to know that part of resisting Satan is resisting false teachers that he sends our way because he's behind all false teaching. Part of resisting Satan is resisting the errors that he tries to capture us with. Notice, I'm going to turn to a number of passages in Scripture, how often the New Testament writers, specifically Paul and John, refer to false teachers trying to deceive believers with error. First passage is 2 Corinthians chapter 11. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the whole background of this book is that Paul had uh, to deal with this church who who were being influenced, this church was being influenced by false teachers. He finally says in chapter 11, verse 3, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. And then he explains, for if one comes and preaches another Jesus, and that was exactly what was going on there, false teachers did preach another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. So he says that, that these people who'd come into the church were deceiving you as The serpent deceived Eve. Then you jump down to verses 13 through 15. He clarifies what was going on here. He says, for such men, now he's talking about the specific men who were deceivers, are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, he says, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness whose end will be according to their deeds. Then just a page over, Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Once again, Paul says to another church in another setting, he says, I am, verse 6, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Of Christ for a different gospel. So Judaizers had gotten into the church and were pulling these people away. He said, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So once again, you have deceivers, Satan's ambassadors in the church. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, the Apostle Paul once again addresses this issue. But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to what? Deceitful spirits, doctrines of demons. These are spirits that indwell false teachers. Titus chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. He's talking now about elders being qualified in knowing the Word of God well enough to refute false teaching. 
verse 9, chapter 1, holding fast the faithful word, this is a qualification for an elder, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. He says there are men who, and he says especially Judaizers, Jewish false teachers, who have to be silenced because they're, they're, they're leading people astray. Then First John chapter 4, in verse 1, John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so we, we read all these verses from Paul and John, and we see that, that this is what was going on in the first century in these churches. Now, the same thing that was happening in those churches and the recipients of those letters by Paul and John was also happening to the Christians that Jude had oversight of. Jude's purpose then in writing this letter is to protect his beloved flock from falling prey to the errors, not not just of false teachers, but apostates, those who had one time claimed to believe in Christianity but had abandoned the truth for error. These men had entered the church and they were trying to lure these Christians away from the gospel of Christ. And the method that Jude employs in protecting these believers, that's his purpose in writing this, is twofold. He spends the first part of this letter, and this is the big picture, folks, on the letter. He spends the first part of this letter denouncing the false teachers, uh, describing them as ungodly men, rebellious to authority, men who live licentiously. They twist the doctrine of the grace of God. They are lustful in their personal lives. They reject God's truth. They create their own religious system. They exploit people for the sake of gaining their money. They, they are greedy. They complain. They speak arrogantly. On and on he goes. That's the first part of this letter. And he does this. He describes these apostates in order to expose them for what they really are so that the believers can see that's what we're dealing with. That's what we're really dealing with. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. And so only by knowing the truth about these wicked men will believers be protected from falling for their schemes. They are not good men. They are not gentle men. They are evil, wicked men. A false teacher is like that, especially an apostate. But there is a second way that Jude protects the flock, not only by exposing and denouncing and describing these false teachers, but starting, and we saw this last week, starting in verse 17 and going until verse 21, Jude offers these Christians a biblical strategy, and this is our biblical strategy, that will enable us to survive and resist the influence of false teachers in in their midst and if they are ever in our midst. And they are, as we said, in our culture, even if not in our church. And so in these verses, Jude presents certain things that you and I can do, responsibilities we are commanded to do to resist the influence of false teachers. And as I said, these are our responsibilities. God will not do this for us. He will enable us to do this. He will strengthen us to do this. But we have to carry out these responsibilities. In these verses before us, 
verses 17 through 21, Jude presents two ways, and we started looking at this last week, two ways to resist the influence of false teachers. Last week we looked at the first way, which is to remember the words of the apostles. Notice verses 17 and 18. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. Judas saying long before false teachers started infiltrating the church in any significant numbers, long before they started having a negative effect on churches and individual Christians, the Lord's apostles said, predicted this would happen. They said it would happen. They predicted that men would come along pretending to be teachers from God, but they would actually mock the truths of God, especially his high moral standards. That's why he said they are men who have ungodly lusts. Because they have ungodly lusts, they attack the high morality of the word of God. They do this because their lives are lived in rebellion to those standards. And so their mockery is simply a way of trying to persuade themselves and others, as well as convince their own accusing consciences, that the lifestyle that they have chosen is acceptable. But it's not acceptable. It's unacceptable. And all the scoffing and ridiculing of biblical Christianity is not going to change the truth of God. But understand, that's their strategy. They scoff at the truth as if it's nothing, and they think if they just do it long enough, nobody's going to be bothered by their sinful lifestyle. False teachers will continue to mock the Bible and anything that reflects biblical morality. They often do this in a condescending, intellectually snobbish way because they think that they're smarter than others. In our day, false teachers usually are very well educated, having been educated in schools known for their scholastics and high academics, and therefore they like to think of themselves as above others. Even if they didn't go to schools like that back in Jude's day, they still like to think of themselves above others. And that's why Jude has a very unique description of them in verse 19. He says they are the ones, first of all, who cause Divisions. They cause divisions by separating themselves into a higher class of spirituality than others. They think that they are the spiritually elite ones in the church, but in reality they're not. Notice he says, these are those, these are the ones who cause divisions, and then he describes them as being worldly minded, which as I told you last week, literally the word here is soulish. And soul is used in scripture to mean the physical life. All that they are, they just have physical life. They're unregenerate people. They're not spiritual at all. In fact, they don't even know the Lord. That's why he says they are devoid of the Spirit. They don't even have the Spirit of God living in them. They're not Christians. They're just unregenerate men who mock God and follow after their own lust, though they themselves think they are above others. Now, if we'll just remember that the apostles predicted this, They predicted that men like this would come on the church scene mocking God. What it will do, it will strengthen us in resisting false teachers because it will serve to remind us that God is sovereign. Nothing is taken him by surprise. He's in control of the whole situation. And he knew this would happen. And so we ought not to be surprised by it ourselves. And here's an important truth. The fact that God said this would happen ought to actually strengthen our faith 
in the word of God and in the gospel. Why? Because it affirms the validity of the Bible. Let the false teachers mock the Bible. Their mocking, watch this, only serves as a reminder that the Bible is true, ironically, since the Bible predicted that they would be scoffing at the truth. Do you see that? That their scoffing being predicted by God actually affirms the truth of the Bible. It does not tear it down at all. So the first way, and this is, that's really by way of review, the first way to resist the influence of false teachers, according to Jude, is by remembering the words of the apostles. God said it would happen. Shouldn't surprise us. The fact that they're doing exactly what the Bible said they would do ought to strengthen and affirm our, our faith. The second way to resist false teachers, according to Jude, is not only by remembering the words of the apostles, but by maintaining a healthy relationship with Jesus Christ. Notice verses 20 and 21. Jude says, but you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Now, these verses contain some very specific responsibility that God gives to us in order to help us survive against the onslaught of false teachers. He tells us, first, to build ourselves up in the faith. Build on the faith is the thought. Pray in the Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love and wait for Christ, and what he means is wait for his return, wait for his coming. But, but I want you to pay close attention to this. The key to understanding these four responsibilities is to know that in the Greek grammar of this sentence, there is actually only one command, only one command. Keep yourselves in the love of God. The three other responsibilities are what we call participles, and they describe how to keep ourselves in the love of God. They, they all modify that one command. So I think the best way to explain what Jude is saying is to first focus on what he means by this one command, keep yourselves in the love of God. And then, and that's what we're going to do this week, and then next week, Lord willing, we'll examine the other phrases that help us to know how to keep ourselves in the love of God. Now, keep in mind the big picture here. Jude's objective in these verses is to teach us that the way to resist false teachers is to maintain a healthy relationship and a growing relationship with Christ. That is the big picture that's going on here. He's teaching us that the only way you can ever keep from being deceived by false teachers is by making sure that you're growing in your faith. You're growing spiritually in your relationship with the Lord. You're maturing. You're being conformed to the image of Christ. You see, those Christians who are lured into cults and, and false religions and they stray from biblical Christianity into error, those people are weak spiritually. They're not strong spiritually. They have not dealt with certain issues in their lives and they are not doing all they can to maintain a godly and healthy walk 
with Christ. So I want you to understand, don't get lost in the details here and miss the, the big picture. Don't look at the trees and miss the forest. The forest here, and the main point is that you and I are to maintain a healthy walk with Christ. And when error comes along, you'll be strong enough to resist it. But let's look at some of the details that help flesh this out. Jude gives us one command. He says, keep yourselves in the love of God. So what does he mean by these words? This is really a key to understanding everything else. Well, first of all, we can say that we know what he doesn't mean. We can eliminate some things. What he doesn't mean is that you have to do something to make God love you. You don't have to do anything to make God love you. He can't possibly be saying merit God's love because the Bible says that God already loves us. God already loves you. You don't need to perform a certain way to gain God's love. That is heresy. That's absolute heresy. Christ already proved his love for us by dying on the cross for our sins. And there are so many statements in Scripture that combine the love of God with the redemption and the work of Christ on the cross. Let me share a few with you. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Notice how the Bible ties together God's love with the work of Christ on the cross. Romans 5, 8, that precious statement. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, what? Christ died for us. He died for us because he loves us. And that's how he demonstrated his love. Galatians 2, 20, a very well-known statement. The Apostle Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Note this, who loved me, and Paul says, and gave himself up for me. Because he loved me, he gave himself up for me. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, Paul said, And walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. What a great truth. Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, says, To him who loves us, not loved, but who continues to love us and released us from our sins by his blood. He has loved us. He continues to love us. He will always love us. And he has released us from our sins by his blood. So we, we know that Jude can't possibly be saying that we have to do anything to make God love us. Or we have to do anything to work for our salvation in the sense that we have to keep ourselves saved by our good works. We, we keep God loving us by doing good works. That's just absolute heresy. Salvation is by grace through faith alone because... God loves us, and therefore it has nothing to do with our performance. Our salvation is secure. Our salvation is eternal because it is based solely on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and not ourselves. In fact, Jude himself states this right in this, this tiny letter. Two times he, say, he states it. Look at the first, very first verse of Jude. He says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father. That means you're loved. You're loved in God the Father. And notice this, kept for Jesus Christ. Some translations may say kept by Jesus Christ. 
very little difference. Kept for Jesus Christ, kept by Jesus Christ. You're kept. You're kept. You're secure. And notice verse 24, which we have not gotten up to yet, but it is a favorite of mine. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, you'll not stumble because he's able to keep you from stumbling. Now, some have suggested that what Jude is saying is that we need to keep ourselves in love with God. That's an interpretation. I don't think that's the right interpretation here, but it is a biblical truth. And we need to understand that. It's a biblical truth in the sense that we do need to make sure that our love for the Lord is as it should be. That it's fresh and it's passionate, that our sin is confessed, we've repented of our sin, that we love him with all of our hearts and minds. So that's a biblical truth. I just don't think that that's what, what Jude is teaching here. And the reason I say that is because of the context. Based on the context, Jude doesn't seem to be talking about our love for God because he's previously mentioned in this letter God's love for us and his power to keep us. Verse 1. So there he speaks about what God has done for us, things that God has for us. Notice in verse 21, the very next phrase, he speaks about the mercy of Jesus Christ. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he has spoken about already God's love for us, God's power to keep, keep us and, and hear the mercy of Jesus Christ. It just seems to be a better fit since he mentions in these places those things that God has for us, his keeping power and his mercy, that here he's also referring to what God has for us, his love for us rather than our love for him. Now, having said what Jude doesn't mean by the command, keep yourselves in the love of God, we do need to ask ourselves, then what does he mean by this? Well, since we know that God continues to love us regardless of the way we behave, then Jude must be saying that we are to keep ourselves, note this, conscious of God's love for us. God does love us. You and I aren't going to change that. So he must mean that we need to be conscious and, and be mindful of the truth that God loves us. In other words, we are always to be alert to the truth of Scripture that God loves us. And how do we keep ourselves conscious of God's love for us? I think that's the issue. Well, you know what? Our Lord, Jesus, said something very similar to what Jude says here. And what Jesus said gives us insight about how to stay mindful concerning God's love for us. Let's look at John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse 9. Jesus said, and this is that upper room discourse that we mentioned this morning, the night that he was betrayed, the night he was arrested, he met with his disciples, he taught them some wonderful truths about living in this era of time. He said in verse 9, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. And then he says, abide in my love. While it's a different word in the original text, it is the same thought. Continue in my love, abide in my love, keep in my love. And then he tells us in verse 10 how to do this. If you keep my commandments, you will 
abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. He tells us that it is by obedience to his word that we remain in his love. In other words, while God's love for us never, ever changes, only those who obey the word of God as a lifestyle will continue to be conscious of his love. So make a note of this. Sin and disobedience to God's word will prevent you from being aware of the depth of God's love for you. You'll, you'll lose sight of it. It'll cloud your consciousness that God has demonstrated his love for us in the death of his son. I had a friend a number of years ago who in the early days of my Christian experience was very influential in helping me to get started spiritually. In fact, this is going back many years. Uh, he was the one who first invited me to our church when I was a student at the University of South Florida. And then for a while, we, we sort of lost touch. And this fellow just sort of faded in his spiritual life. Uh, I don't really understand all that, that happened. I was away at Bible school. But uh, for some time, he did not walk with the Lord. And then it was years after that, he was in touch with me. He had gotten his life straightened out. He had repented of his sin. And I had years prior to that looked to him to help me spiritually. But you know what? Even though he was many years older than me in the Lord, he had forgotten so much spiritually. He just lost sight of it. Sin had clouded his consciousness of just some basic Bible doctrines. That's what we're seeing here. It'll cloud your consciousness, sin and disobedience, that God has demonstrated his love for you in the death of his son. And when you allow the truth of God's love in Christ to be clouded by your sin, then you'll be easy prey for any false teacher because you will have lost sight of the glorious doctrine of God's loving grace in salvation. You see, every false teacher and every false religion and every cult attacks the love of God in Christ. They are always off on the person of Christ and the work of Christ. They have to because they always, every religion, makes salvation a matter of deeds and works, which is in direct conflict with the grace of God. Therefore, they have to deny it. They have to distort it. They have to twist the truth about Jesus Christ being God and the fact that he died in the place of lost sinners and offers salvation as a merciful Love gift. In other words, folks, false teachers always attack something concerning the truth of Christ and the cross. Let me show you this from 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. I only read to you verse 1. But John goes on to speak about, about how these false spirits were attacking the truth. He says in verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And now he explains, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard, that is coming and now is already in the world. Every false teacher is off on the doctrine of Christ. Therefore, they are off on the grace of God. They are off on the message of the cross. So the only way to protect yourself from their assaults on Christ and specifically God's love in Christ is by being obedient 
to the word of God. See, it's only as we are obedient to his word that we will be conscious of being loved by God. And those who know how much God loves them and remain conscious of this, you know what? They're not interested in hearing anything from a false teacher. They're not looking for anything else. They're not, they're not interested in any religious novelties, new doctrines. They are totally satisfied with Christ. You know what? They know they are complete in Christ. That's why they're not running after something. They are satisfied with him. So what is Jude telling us? He's telling us that the way to resist any false teacher is by a life of obedience to the Lord who loves you, gave himself up for you. And so I ask you tonight, does obedience characterize your life? Is there anything that you're aware of? I'm not talking about struggling with something. We all have sinful issues that we struggle with. But is there anything in your life that you are conscious of, that is hindering you from being alert and mindful of God's love. If there is, then you have to deal with it drastically. Cut it out. It might be worry. It could be gossip. could be fear. Sins of the tongue. We love to slander other people. We love to gossip about them. could be lust. could be a lack of forgiving others. It could be some idol in your life. By that, I mean something that is so important to you, it is absolutely controlling you. So be aware that if you are weak in your obedience to the Lord, you are vulnerable to Satan's attacks. We started with 1 Peter chapter 5. Let's look there again. 1 Peter chapter 5. Let me proceed a little bit further. Verse 9, Peter says, but resist him. You resist the devil. And then he makes this astounding Statement, firm in your faith. Peter says that we resist Satan by being firm in, watch this, it's not really, it shouldn't be translated your faith as if it's your personal faith. Just grow stronger in in believing more. That's not what he's saying. In the original text, it is firm in the faith. The faith, meaning the doctrine of the word of God, the faith that's once and for all handed down and given to the saints. Firm in the faith, we are to be obedient to the word of God. Peter is saying the same thing as Jude. You resist him by being obedient to the word of God. It is only as we obey the truth that we'll be able to resist the lies of the devil. Now, Lord willing, next week we'll we'll look at these other responsibilities, these three other responsibilities that Jude says that we have that will help us to keep ourselves in the love of God, mindful of his love. Let's pray. Before we look to the Lord with our eyes closed and our hearts quiet before him, any sin that you need to deal with, any sin that the Lord has put his finger on and said, this isn't right. If you don't deal with it and you're aware of it, then you run the risk of losing sight of Christ and his precious love for us. And if you do that, you're fair game for Satan. So I urge you, make sure that you're up to date on confession, repentance, obedience. It's not something to play with. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture, Lord. So easy to overlook, so easy to 
to analyze this and get lost in the details and to lose the, the big picture, the main point that we are to make sure that we're growing in you, that we have a healthy relationship. And Lord, we know that a healthy relationship starts with being obedient, surrendered in our hearts to you. You are, as we saw this morning, indeed our Lord. I pray that every area of our lives will be in conformity to your will. There's some here, someone here, perhaps many, who they're aware that something's not right. I pray that before they go to sleep tonight, they will address it, take care of it, and know the joy that comes with being obedient. Lord, we are grateful for your love. We are unlovely. We are undeserving of your love. But thank you for loving us. We never need doubt your love. It's not based on how we feel. It's not based on our circumstances. Very difficult things do happen to us as believers, but you already have demonstrated your love towards us in that you died for us, Lord. We thank you for that. It's wonderful to know on this Easter Sunday that your death was for us. We have trusted you. And Lord, you rose again affirming that payment was fully made and fully accepted by God the Father. Lord, we praise you for that, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.